Hello and welcome to Robin and Stephanie's Crimeaholics podcast. Say hi. Hey, don't mind my voice. So we've been missing in action. I had COVID and now Steph has. I don't know what I have. Her voice is in and out. So <laughs> bear with us this week. So this week we are still local in New Jersey and the little girl's name is Stephanie Irene Mon. Now this happened way back in 1993. So we had to dig really deep to get information on it because of course computers weren't uh, used as much then or you know. I don't know. Did they even have... We didn't have computers then. I think we had them... I mean, you had, like, computers, but they were, like, dial-up. No, like, but... Yeah, because yeah, I graduated in 91, and I know we had computers. Yeah, so I had Mikey in 91. So I'm the same age as the murderer. Nice. So I can calculate the dates in my head. So we really had to dig for this one. This little girl was murdered in Westville, New Jersey. She was seven years old. She went missing on October 2nd, 1993, and then they found her body on 10-9-93. It was floating in a duffel bag on in Big Timber Creek, which is only a little bit away from the house she was living in. Uh, the bag was weighted down. Uh, it had cinder blocks tied to it. It was a tan bag, and it was monogrammed with either H.I. Baker or W.I. Baker. I don't know if it was faded or what, that they couldn't make out what the exact initials were. So she was reported missing by her dad, Kenneth Mon, at 10 p.m. on 10-2-93. It was a Saturday. And the whole town came together to look for her. The cops went door to door. They checked yards, garages, and pools. They had helicopters with spotlights assisting in the search. And they even went around on a fire truck on a loudspeaker saying, Stephanie Mon, please call home. So the town spent the next few days searching for her, and they even dragged the lake. A week later, she was found floating in the lake in the duffel bag. So, there was over 350 people attended her funeral services in Westville. And then, I don't know how much later that they searched the two houses. How much later was that? Do I you would remember? I say it was like, I think it was a good... So, okay. I want to say it was like 10 months or something. Well, the newspaper articles was how we had to do our research on this. It said it was December of 93. So that was two months. Um, they looked at her parents' home and the home of Timothy McFarlane, who was a neighbor. 
and she used to go over there and play cards mm -hmm. and battleship with him. So she did know him, mm -hmm. and he was only... He was 23 at the time. So he was 23 when he murdered her? Mm-hmm. And he was married... Um, so Timothy McFarlane was, a, wasn't arrested until a year and a half later in February, 1995. And after he was arrested, he confessed to the sexual assault and murder of Stephanie. Okay. So back in that time, I think I missed one whole part where... He was married to Heidi. He was married to Heidi, and I I read somewhere that shortly after the murder, three months after the murder, you know, they didn't, he wasn't charged or anything yet. They wound up moving away to another town. Yeah, so he moved to Seoul first, and then Harrison Township. Right. So, let's go back to this one. So after he was arrested, he later confessed uh, about the sexual assault and murdering her. So he was originally charged with capital murder, which capital murder is used in only eight states and the legal definitions vary. So... It usually means murder involving one or more of the following factors. That the victim is a police officer, firefighter, paramedic, or a safety professional and was killed while on duty. Two, the victim is killed during the commission of another violent felony such as armed robbery, kidnapping, uh, arson. Three, the victim is tortured, raped, or sexually assaulted, especially if the victim is a child. Four, multiple murders are committed. Uh, five, murder for hire. Six, terrorism. Seven, the victim is murdered based on race. Uh, eight, the victim is a witness of a crime. So, yes, I did have to look that up and you know, get the exact on what it means. Uh, some states may include other factors which amount to capital murder or its legal equivalent. So he was charged with capital murder, and then he was charged with two counts of felony murder, which 46 states in the United States had a felony murder rule under which felony murder is generally first-degree murder. In 24 of those states, it's a capital offense. Uh, when the government seeks to impose the death penalty on someone convicted of felony murder. So, I'm still confused on how... There's two counts of felony yeah, murder. I was confused about that. She was only one person. But I don't know. Maybe because of the kidnapping, sexual assault. I don't know. Maybe they can somehow ball it into two counts of felony murder. Um, it becomes capital murder at that point, though, because of the kidnapping and sexual assault that happened as well. 
but he yes. was also charged with that um, endangering the welfare of a child and hindering apprehension. And he was charged with kidnapping and sexual assault, which in New Jersey, sexual assault is the legal term for rape. So he was charged with all that. Um, in 1995, Timothy was married to Heidi McFarlane, and they had two kids, ages one and three. So in 1993, he probably only had the one. Yeah, he probably only had the one child, and maybe she was pregnant, or maybe she got pregnant shortly thereafter. But they were living together down the street from where uh, Stephanie lived. So his wife was suspicious from the get-go. She said he was acting weird, jumpy, mm -hmm. giddy, and overexcited. Why the hell would he be giddy and overexcited? Uh, yeah, that part I didn't get. I could see being the jumpy and maybe a little, like, nervous, nervous but or why paranoid giddy? or yeah. something. Like, I didn't get the giddy and... And overexcited, but me neither. I mean, that maybe, would make me want to punch maybe him in the his face. Endorphins were still kicking in from whatever sexual act he performed. Who knows? So, in other articles, it said the neighbors said that it was weird that they didn't help look for her. In another article, a lady said that he was standing next to her at the lake when they found the body. And she must have announced that she was an attorney because he was asking her legal questions. Oh, wow. I didn't see that one. Yeah, I did read that he was, like, in the crowd with some neighbors while they were searching. Yeah, but not no, not searching when no, they found it. No, he wasn't searching, it. but he was in the crowd while other people were oh. searching, kind of, like, in the background, you know? So, a few months after the murder, Timothy and Heidi moved to Seoul, New Jersey, and then to Harrison Township. He was employed as a roofer, and his mother was a nurse, and his father was the high school principal at Cumberland Christian Academy in Vineland. And Timothy went to Christian schools, mm -hmm. and then he attended Clearview until 1989 when he dropped out and started adult night school. And his teachers said that he was very well-behaved and was never in trouble at school, and they were all shocked when they found out that he was the murderer. So... When they did the search of uh, his house, they found particles and fibers in his canoe. And then there was a big controversy over uh, tapes, whether they would be right, admissible, would be admissible or in not. court. So there was two of them. One was a 70-minute tape implicating Stephanie's father, Keith Mon, and the judge said it was admissible to show that Timothy was lying to everyone all along. And the second tape was a six-hour statement from his wife, Heidi. She was not at home when he murdered little Stephanie in their home, she was at her mom's house doing laundry. 
According to his own confession, seven-year-old Stephanie went to his house to play Battleship that day. Timothy said that he had been drinking all day, and he followed Stephanie upstairs to the bedroom and demanded that she take off her pants and performed a sexual act on her and then told her to shower. He said she walked past him and went to the steps and started to yell. He said he then reached out and put his hands around her mouth and then snapped and he squeezed her and then she was dead. He then said he never meant to hurt her. So he did take, he confessed to it and took a plea deal. So the charges of sexual assault and capital murder could have warranted the death penalty. So they were dismissed in his plea agreement. And when he, I guess he was questioned in court or maybe when he was doing the confession, uh, he didn't speak about, he didn't go into details about the sexual assault, right. which thank God he didn't because right. her parents were there. Um, and he was tearful and apologized and said he never meant to hurt her. So we're doing this crime podcast, not only because it's local to us, and right now we are in Westville by the lake uh, that she was dumped in, and I don't know, a couple blocks up is her house Mm -hmm. that she lived in, and her parents moved after that Mm because her mom just said, you know, there was just too many memories and it was just too big. And the house that he lived in, and he moved away a couple months after the murder, too. So he's eligible for parole to 1325. Mm-hmm. So if you look on uh, the records of him being in prison, he got 30 years to life for murder he got one day for kidnapping what the fuck is that yeah i saw that i don't know it's, it's one day of, they i guess they time served or whatever they kind of do it to make it even i don't know it's yeah the way they do it. that was just goofy but let's get to the great part how as a felon can you change your effing name again how many times is this that we're doing this this is what the third one right yeah like he changed his name once he got into prison and he's now hunter shane mcdaniels how are you allowed to change your name okay and number two you're a murderer why the hell are you changing your name to hunter i mean right like come on I mean, I guess I can get changing your name because if for some reason you do get out now, like he's eligible for parole in 2025 because that'll be his 30 years that he served, uh, you know, mandatory that he has to serve for a life sentence. Um, If he gets out, maybe he doesn't want that name to be tough shit, whatever, so he can get on with his life. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's why they allow them to do it, but I think it's bullshit. But I think the funniest thing is, number one, I thought it... I thought you couldn't change your name uh, as a felon because... I mean, they take away all your other rights. You're not allowed to own a handgun. You're not allowed to vote. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Why are you allowed to change your name? 
Yeah. And when I went to change my name, it was a whole big process. Yeah. It was $500. You had to go in yeah, front of a judge. The state because he's exactly. In you had to pay to put some kind of notification right. in a newspaper. Yeah, they like put it in there so many times because if anybody objected to it. Yeah. So I don't understand how this is like the third one we're doing where they changed their name. But yeah. the funniest thing is when you look up these crimes and when you look up to see what jail he's in, they all give you the real name and the new name. Well, so you know who so are you hiding from? I don't know how you found him because I tried looking him up to see what jail he was in and I couldn't find him. Um, I don't have that paper with me. No, I know. I can look it up. Oh, I, oh, I ain't got oh. no internet out here. Just um, just look up Farland when you go to that that New Jersey MacFarland. Yeah. Huh. Well, let's look it up. Let's see if I can. And get then it time. then it pulls it up. Because I was like, I was trying McDaniel's. I was trying all his new names. No. So you type in Mac MacFarland and click the little button underneath that says aliases. And then it pops up. That's what I didn't do. Yeah. Nice. So, like, this um, is a small town. It's Westville. So, I was, I had my son in 1991. So, I moved out of Westville in 1992. And this occurred in 93. But even when I lived here, it was a decent town. Like, all the kids would go outside and play. It wasn't much crime. Like, well, back then, I mean, it wasn't. The world isn't like the world back then wasn't like it is now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, kids could stay out. Like, I think I read somewhere like she didn't come home. She wasn't home by ten o'clock, and that's when they actually reported well, her missing. Well, yeah, her dad said that she didn't come home at dark. So back then, you came right. home at dark right. when the streetlights right. went that's on. That's what I was always told. Yeah, and that's what we had to do. So when she didn't come home, he had called her friends and, you know, trying to figure out where she right. was. And finally, by 10 o'clock, he called the police. So I wanted you to read this article because it had a lot of good information in it. Well, look at that. I found him now. <laughs> you have to hit that. I the aliases. I see that. And is it bad to say that even though he, I mean, he's not bad looking? It's a shame. Yeah, well, so. Do you need a prison pen pal? No, <laughs> Don't even I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So I do think that his wife divorced him. Like, who um, wouldn't? Yeah. Well, because I had read somewhere that they were separated. Like, so basically, she played a huge role in him actually coming forth and confessing. Yes. Um, which is kind of what I'm getting ready to read. So she she played a really huge role in that. And I'm pretty sure it says somewhere in here that they had been separated for a little while. Because I feel like she 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 suspected him from the beginning. So you're talking about right, like a year later. like Why would you get pregnant? Like, I'm sorry. If I thought that my husband had anything to do with sexually abusing a child and murdering a child, I'm not sleeping with you. Right. I'll be somewhere else. Let me know. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm actually surprised he hasn't like bought it in jail yet. And he had to. So by the time he was arrested, he had 
a one and three year old. So I don't know if she was already pregnant or what. I usually don't like guys in prison that rape little girls. Good. Because he's still alive. Yeah. Because he shouldn't be. But he's coming up to a parole date soon. And I hope that this whole community. We'll have to keep an eye out on for that. Yeah. So this is the second one we're doing where they're coming up for coming parole. up for parole. Yes, yeah, so we have a couple. We have to kind of. All right. So bear with me in my voice here. You want me to hold it? What All right. Hell? So I'm going to read this article about the uh, two admissible tapes. Um, it says, despite the defense contention that statements from Timothy McFarland were illegally obtained by authorities, a judge in Gloucester County ruled yesterday that they can be introduced at trial. As a result, jurors in the case will now hear two taped statements taking, taken in February from McFarland, a 20-year-old former roofer charged with the rape and suffocation of 7-year-old Stephanie Mann of Westville. In my so, opinion... Go ahead. Um... When they found her body and did the autopsy, they said that the reason of death was suffocation. And they said she was not penetrated. Okay. So we don't know what kind of sexual act was actually performed. Yeah. But whatever. Um, In my opinion, the statements were given voluntary. State's Superior Court Judge uh, Joseph Lisa said, I'm satisfied, satisfied beyond a reasonable doubt that he, McFarlane, understood what he was saying and that if he could, if it could be used against him in court of law. With that, the first tape, a 70-minute tale implicating, I never can get that word out, Mon's father in the murder will be played to the jury to show that he has been lying to us all along. Um... The second tape, McFarland's confession, will then be played on the tape. McFarland tells authorities that he sexually assaulted Stephanie on October 2nd, 1993, before stuffing her body in a canvas bag and dumping her bag in the Big Timber Creek. Defense attorney Lee Hughes, who filed the suppression motion earlier this year, argued in court that McFarland was questioned without an attorney, even though he asked for one. Furthermore, a the attorney argued that McFarland's wife, Heidi, was used as an agent of the state to force a confession out of her husband. <coughs> Excuse me. Heidi McFarland, for her part, testified yesterday that she felt manipulated by police into getting a confession out of her husband. She told police her confession would be better for everyone. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She said the police told her a confession would be better for everyone. The 24-year-old mother of two said she urged her husband to talk with the police in a full 16 months after the murder because she suspected her husband was somehow involved. After being separated for a few weeks, she told her husband that a true confession could possibly save their marriage. So she basically manipulated him into confessing. Good. So she definitely played a huge part. But so she thought that for 16 months. I mean, come on. It's kind of crazy. But anyway, however, when Timothy McFarland sat down on February 14th with the police, he lied. They say he told a story about following instructions to dump the body in Big 
Timber Creek after Keith Mann, Stephanie's father, assaulted the young girl. McFarland said he feared for his life and kept quiet so his own two children would not be harmed. It was not until later in the day that he offered to come clean. Heidi McFarland, speaking privately with her husband, told him that his story was not going to fly. I just told him that I couldn't take it anymore. A tearful and soft-spoken Heidi McFarland said yesterday, I told him just to tell the truth. If he would tell the truth and be honest with me, I told him he could. we could work things out. Emerging from a private interview room, Heidi McFarland told authorities that her husband was willing to talk, but she said he first wanted an attorney. Moments later, Westville Police Chief William Bittner Jr., who was present during the first round of questioning, told Heidi McFarland that an attorney would only smother the process. He told her that a full confession that night would not would be better for everyone, including her family. He said an attorney would only prevent Timothy from telling his story. Heidi testified. Heidi McFarland agreed. Miranda rights were read for the fifth and sixth time that day, and Timothy McFarland told police that he killed Stephanie. Neither Timothy nor his wife asked again about an attorney. End of story. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know. I think there's something wrong with the wife. Like, how do you suspect your husband did something so awful? Well, maybe she was, maybe she was scared because maybe she was scared for her own kids. um, That if she went to the authorities, that he would somehow hurt the children. Who knows? I mean, if he was able to do that to a, a little girl, what, you know that would go to his house on a regular and and everything like that. Like, what would he do to his own kids? So, I mean, maybe that's why. But obviously they were having issues in their marriage, struggling. And I found that her obituary was very, I don't know, not like they are now. So her obituary that was in the paper on October 14th, 1993, says Stephanie Irene Mon, seven, of Westville died Saturday. Stephanie, who was reported missing a week earlier, was found in Big Timber Creek in Westville. An investigation is continuing into her death. She was born in Woodbury and was a second grade student at Parkview Elementary School in Westville. Survivors. Her parents, Keith and Nancy Lee Mon of Westville. A stepbrother, Gene Hatfield of Asheville, North Carolina. A stepsister, Nicole Hatfield of Glassboro. Her maternal grandparents, Raymond and Myrtle Camper of Tennessee and her paternal grandparents, Kenneth Jr. and Jeanne Asherman Mon of Lawrenceville, Georgia. Services viewing 7 p.m. today, Westville Baptist Church, Summit and Route 130 in Westville. Funeral 8 p.m. today at the church. Burial tomorrow, Beaver Church Creek Cemetery, Smithburg, Maryland. 
I should go to Maryland. Don't look at me like that with a bug. You know I'm going to scream. <laughs> That's why I did it quietly while you were talking. So... I like being out in the woods with the bugs. This, I don't know, it's just so close to home. He's a sick piece of shit that can do that to a little girl. And this is just our opinions and thoughts. Just going to throw that out there because we haven't done that yet. And interesting that the flag is at half mass where we're at, though. Did you notice? Wow. So I think I read in one of the articles that that was the only child of her parents. Um, and, you know, the obituary. Doesn't really tell much. Yeah, but it did say all the rest of her siblings were steps. So that right. that was their only child they had together. together. And there was a couple articles where they were interviewing the mom. And they lived in a, a nice house over here. I mean, the houses are pretty nice along here, honestly. And she said that the house was just too big to be in all day. So I think she quit her job after you know the murder happened and she was home all day and she just said it was it was too quiet the house was too big like you know neighbors and people were always asking yeah, always her asking how are how you that would be and tough. she said something about they may be asking how are you but what they're really saying is how the hell are you oh, doing exactly. this and I just, I, I can't imagine. I just can't. So they moved away a couple months after the murder, and so did the murderer. But it took them 16 months to charge him, even though they found fibers and particles in his canoe. But I guess that wasn't enough information to go on. Yeah, and I don't understand how that is because to me that's evidence. Yeah, but what was it fibers and particles of? Could it just been the duffel bag? It could have been if like I didn't a see fishing bag. Like maybe that's why they didn't because they found it, but they don't know what it belonged to. Right. So they must have matched up somewhere. Yeah, the particles and fibers of whatever. I mean, I feel like if it wasn't, they probably would have never actually charged him because they didn't really have anything on him because she was suffocated. Yes. So there was no but, blood. But there was no, there was no blood. There was no penetration. So there was no DNA. DNA. He made her take a shower. She was in the water for how long? You know, for like a week. So there was really no actual evidence. And if it wasn't for, I feel, the wife getting him to confess or turn himself in, he might still not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they moved away. He moved completely away from here. So he didn't have to deal with it. That was probably the main reason they moved. But he was still in Gloucester County, New Jersey. Like, this yeah, was I mean, all over states. I know, but you know how, like, small towns are. Yeah. But when you die, you release all your body fluids. Like, she didn't see a big stain in the carpet when she came home. Like, well, there had to be on urine how, and I mean, fecal matter. Like, Yeah, but, I mean, that doesn't happen right away. It does. It does not. 
Does it? Yeah, like a, the minute the minute not you the die. Minute. Okay, well that's no. what I'm saying. Like I feel like that maybe like 20 minutes to a half hour maybe that would happen. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know Fortunately, I've not I've had to witness been that. Anybody that died like that. And, and if I did, um, they had blankets on, so you didn't know. But actually, and that's not. Yeah, I think it's a while before that actually happens because I have been around somebody that died, but. I think that's a while before that happens. So, and she was suffocated. It's not like he stabbed her. It's not like right. he shot her. There was no blood. So there was no blood. Um, just the his the way he was acting was yeah, what she purely demeanor. went on his demeanor. Um, if he if he acted calm, cool, and collected, again, they probably would have never known that he was the one. Well, unless couple- she unless she said, "Hey, I'm going to." His house. Because they found her her bike around one of these trees. Right. So he had to walk her bike over here. I mean, yeah. But it did say a lot of the neighbors were suspicious, but they weren't suspicious until after the fact. Like, nobody thought that he well, was don't you think it's, okay. a scumbag before the well, fact. Here's, here's my issue. But he was so damn young. But here's my issue. What business... Regardless, okay, so we know his kids were young. What business does a seven-year-old have it going to a house to play games with a 23-year-old? To me, that's to me that's an issue. Okay, well, I can sort of... When I was little, seven, eight, I could sniff a baby out miles away. And if there was a baby somewhere, I was at that house. So okay. I can sort of understand okay, that. I can kind of understand that. But you as a parent, if you knew that your seven or eight-year-old daughter was going to hang out yeah, because and play games when I with a 23-year-old man, what do you yeah. think? When I was seven or eight, we lived in a different world. Exactly. And this shit, I mean, I'm sure it went on, but not as much as it did. I mean, it didn't say that he was a family friend, that she was just that she would go there and visit frequently. Like, did her parents know that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. To me, that's a big red flag. Like... Yeah, but back in that day, you trusted people until they gave I mean, you a I reason guess. not to. I mean, yeah, you're right. It was but a different time. Back when then. I was a parent, I didn't trust anyone. There was no, you know, that wouldn't have happened to my kid because I, number one, my seven-year-old wasn't out of my sight. Number two, I right. trusted no one. But. My son was just born then. So the world I lived in when I was a child, that was okay. That was normal. Like, I could sniff a baby out. If there was a baby, I was at that house. Right. But I don't think I would have been at the house if it was just the dad. Like, one of my uh, good friends that lived down the street, uh, Wills, Mm W-I-L-Z was the name. Audrey was the little girl there. And Lillian and John were the dad. So I got real tight with Lillian and, you know, played with Audrey because I was riding my bike down the street and she had a baby out front. Well, you know, I'm stopping because I can sniff a damn baby out. But I never went over there when it was just John and Audrey. So Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could see it because I was always... When I was younger, I was very mature for my age, and I would rather hang out with the adults than the kids. Uh, I I was sniffing out babies. Yeah. But, I mean... I don't know. 
I'm glad that he admitted to it. I'm sure, you know, whatever sexual act he did, I mean, I guess it, it came out it somewhere, came. but just not there. I don't think there. it did because I don't think, well, I mean, unless they just didn't release that part of the yeah. tapes. But I would feel like in the confession tape, it would say, he right. would have said it, but he did But didn't. in 1993, they weren't so open about talking about shit like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now you can talk about that. I mean, I guess. Again, you know, she was in the water. He made her take a shower. So it's not like there would have been any kind of evidence, DNA evidence anyway, probably. But... I mean, they did say there was no penetration. So, I mean, we don't know what kind of act was performed. Well, it was something if you made her take a shower. Well, we can use our imagination as to why. Yeah. Or what you was trying to wash off. Right. But, so, like, um, there's a Facebook group that I found some information in, too. Mm. Uh, it was... It's called, I Grew Up in Westville. And let me read some of the comments on there. So they have a little uh, picture of her. Um, a lot of people said she was very uh, tomboyish. And I guess the good that came out of this crime. Oh, I was just going to say that. Yeah, is that... Uh, that light. In memory of uh, Stephanie Mon. Um, you probably know more about it than I do. It's, um, what they did was in 2012, they erected like an in memory of Stephanie Mon and it's, uh, are you talking about the light that they put yeah. on? So if anyone goes missing, they put this light on in town and it stays on until that person's found, but it kind of alerts the whole town that there's a child missing. Of course, you know, we have Amber Alert now, so it goes out, you know, across our phones. You know, this is yeah. before Amber Alert and became real popular so but that was you know that was one good thing that yeah, came out of it the only good thing right. i mean damn but in that uh group uh there's a lot of comments on there and people who helped search for her people you know that um found her they comment in there too i wanted to find some of the com comments on there uh, so they said she lived on River Drive, which we knew that, uh, that the killer's coming up for parole, that he changed his name, uh, someone's father was a firefighter that assisted in the search, um, I mean, when something like that happens in a small town, everyone kind of comes together. Yeah. And it, back then, I mean, this something is like what... Something that didn't happen, so it's kind yeah. of... You kind of remember some details, maybe not all of them. I was trying to find... There were some comments in here that I really liked. Okay, so there's a tree in the plaque and a bench on Duncan Street across from the daycare center. I told you it was th that's the Thomas West Park. Yeah. That's where that stuff is. 
one of, I know one of these comments, one of the uh, guys that found her commented in here. Oh, one of the guys that found her? Yeah. I guess, too, I'm just kind of, like, looking as being here at the area, like, it's kind of, I mean, I guess she was small enough to fit in a duffel bag, and nobody would have thought twice about him walking down the street with a duffel bag. But how do you tie, well, I guess he put her in a canoe. I mean, they found I mean, shit in a canoe, but I how guess. do you get a canoe here? Well, or I mean, the duffel bag? Well, that's like, what I was trying to figure out, like, when I was waiting for you, like, where would you, unless you went all the way down to the Westville boat thing, which is down there. But, I mean, you could have put your, I mean, you could probably Yeah, walk. we got to remember, this is over, this is 30 years right. old. But, like, you can walk down yeah. and put the canoe in right there. So, he must have stuck the duffel bag in the canoe and then brought the canoe here. I That's mean, nobody would think nothing of him carrying the right. duffel bag out of his house. Right, because it would be like you coming here with your kayak and putting it in the, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, so the one comment on here it says that my dad was one of the people that found her because uh, he used to volunteer with Westville Fire Department. Um, there's another lady on here who made a YouTube video uh, about Stephanie Mon. Um, but I tried not to pull any information from her video because... Well, she, she said she had just moved to the area. Yeah, and she was a kid when it happened. She was a kid when it So, yeah. you know, what are you really remembering? I did really watch it. I mean, it did give a little bit, you know, some information because, you know, I didn't have access to all the articles. Yeah, because. so it was hard to find information on this because it was before computers. I told Rob we're going to have to go old school and go to the library and look up the microfiche. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody did that. <laughs> so this one comment is, I remember watching the police drag the river looking for her. And the man standing next to me that I was talking to turned out later to be the murderer. Wow. Uh, oh my gosh, how freaky to be standing and talking to a murderer. Did he act weird or anything that you remember? He was watching like everyone else. I kept saying how it was sad and he was asking about my law degree. <laughs> Uh, someone else said that he lived a few feet from them. He was their neighbor. Um, yeah, company. And how devastating it was to this town. Uh, Bill Bittner, didn't you read him in that article? Yeah, he was the police chief. Yeah, he wrote, Timothy McFarlane was convicted of Stephanie's murder on July 2nd, 1996. Immediately upon entering prison to serve his life sentence, he must mm -hmm. do 30 years, he changed his name to Hunter Shane McDaniels. He will be eligible for parole on February 13th, 2025. And it says that you can view uh, his information on the DOC website. Yeah, he gave him up. He was the police chief at the time. Yeah. He was the Westville and police so chief. Someone else commented on here. 
How was he allowed to change his name? Right. There That's should true. be a law to disallow it for convicted felons. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And I agree, but this is like the third one we did where they're changing names. Well, we haven't done the third one yet. We're getting ready to do the third one next week. But. So, any final comments? No, I mean, I guess my only comment is I guess we're just glad that there was really no evidence in the case, I feel. And then if it wasn't for his wife suspecting him from the get-go and because of his demeanor and the way he was acting, that, I mean, this case might have never been solved, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, for her to get involved and make him confess and kind of manipulate the situation to get him to confess, you know, I mean, gives closure to the family, obviously. Because, like I said, without it, I don't feel like it probably would have ever been solved. It would have been a cold case. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, they didn't have enough evidence to charge no. him, so... Because if they did, they would have when they searched his house and his boat, and they didn't. Yeah, and if so. the dad reported her missing at 10 p.m., wait, maybe he waited until dark. Right. I mean, they had no other down evidence because she was strangled. You know what I mean? So there was no, no blood, no blunt no. force trauma. So there was no weapon involved. It was just someone strangling yeah. her. You know what I mean? So I mean that's kind of hard to prove unless you get a confession, honestly. So definitely, yeah. So when his uh, parole hearing comes up, I can only hope and pray everyone listening to this will write a letter. I mean, right. like he should not. He should not come out. I'm going to assume his kids are grown now. I yeah. would hope they would want nothing to do with him. Maybe but that's another reason why he changed his name. Because his he wasn't charged with a sexual crime. He's not on any kind of list or anything. So he's allowed around kids. I mean. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I would think, well, that's kind of crazy now that you say that. Yeah. So he's allowed around kids. Yeah, you're right. So he would be allowed around kids again when if he did get out. I didn't even didn't even think about that. Yeah. He's not on any kind of Megan's list. And I'm sure 30 years in jail, you can't fix stupid. Right. So I'm sure, you know, he's still just as much a piece of shit now as he was then. And I don't believe you can re rehabilitate that. You can't. If you can do that to a seven-year-old child... Coming from a Christian family and going to a Christian school. Yeah, one of the comments on that Facebook group said that his dad was a preacher. I read that, too, that his dad was a preacher. His dad was a yeah. pastor or a minister or something And his like mom that. was and a nurse. nurse. So he came from a good family. It's not like he was like, you know... I mean, you never know. Yeah, you never like, know. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. True. And I don't care what goes on behind closed doors. You do that to a seven-year-old, you're a piece of shit. You take a life, you should give a life. There's my theory right there. And I wanted to reiterate that these are our opinions, our thoughts. Uh, this is what we found when we researched this case. And I guess on that note, we'll... We'll end the podcast. And if you had any information that you wanted to share with us, you can reach out on social media. Uh, we're on Instagram and on Facebook.
If there's a crime that you would like us to research and do, uh, we wanted to stay local in New Jersey, but we'll do other ones too. Uh, you can just reach out and let us know. And until next time, we thank you for listening and have a great night. Peace out, Drew. <laughs> Drew.